This is Betsy Jensen, and you are listening to Unstoppable Body and Mind, Episode 5, The Model, How to Solve Any Problem. In this podcast, we learn to upgrade our brain and understand the power of our thoughts to heal and to create the results we want in our life. Become the person in control of your healing and make peace with your life. Become unstoppable, body and mind. Hello, I'm going to talk about the model today, which is a way you can solve any problem. But first, I wanted to start with something I've been thinking about since I recorded the last episode. So I told you about the top three emotions that I'd had from about five years ago. And when I found my paper from about six months ago, my top three emotions were gratitude, tired, and worry, where I was noticing and watching my worry. And I noticed that tired was on both lists, and it kind of made me think a lot over this last week. And at first I thought about what was going on six months ago and we had just moved and I had just started coach training certification. And so I thought, well, that's explainable that I was feeling tired. But then I thought those things are just circumstances. If there's a feeling of tired, then that either comes from my body sensations or from my emotions, which would mean it comes from my thoughts. And all of a sudden, it was like this light bulb moment, even though I know that my emotions come from my thoughts, I think I'd always been thinking of tired as something that was just physiological and something that I was just going to feel. And if it was a physical cause, then I would just need to sleep more. I would need better sleep. But I also know that there have been times in my life when I haven't gotten as much sleep, but because of what's going on emotionally or mentally or physically, I still do not feel tired. So for example, when I started recording this podcast, I was just so motivated and energized by it that I stayed up much later than I normally would have. And the next morning when I woke up, I was ready to go. I was not feeling tired at all. I was just feeling motivated. I can also think of examples in my life of times that I have gotten a lot of sleep and I've still felt tired. So I don't think that tired is purely a physiological feeling that I feel. I think it's also very emotional, which really is good news because if it's coming from my thoughts, that's where I have some power and some work I can do. So over this last week, I was really noticing when I did feel tired, if it seemed to be more that physiological feeling or if it was coming from my thoughts. And what I noticed is that it was almost always exclusively my thoughts. And it was usually at a time when I was transitioning. So maybe I've been working and then I'm coming home. I start to feel tired, um, that switch from one capacity to another. Or if I am thinking about something that I need to do, some laundry or some dinner that I'm gonna go make, a lot of times that would be accompanied by a thought of feeling tired, which also interestingly would be accompanied by a thought about often overeating or eating something. I better go eat some candy because I have some paperwork to do and I need some energy. I also noticed that tired is really not one of my dominant emotions anymore. 
So I think this podcast is already helping someone. It's helping me. So thank you. (laughs) And hopefully it's helping some of you too. But I decided to add tired to my list of indulgent emotions, emotions that really are not serving a purpose and are not really great for me to entertain because it's not helping me. Now, am I going to react when I feel tired? No, I don't want to react negatively or judge myself. I can think the thought I'm tired. I can feel the tiredness in my body. I can process it. I'm not trying to avoid it or repress it, but I am going to recognize what's going on, what might also be contributing to making me think that I'm tired and question that and try to eliminate this emotion from something that I'm choosing to feel because it doesn't serve me. It does me no good to think that I'm tired. Now, another emotion that I listed was worry, and I said that I was noticing and watching my worry now. So again, I was really looking at this this last week. Do I have a lot of worry in my life now? I definitely do have worry. And I do have to say that six months ago versus now, I feel like the amount of worry that I have that naturally comes up is a little bit less. We haven't just moved and I'm not new to the coach training. And I also noticed that I have a lot of emotions that just naturally come up that I've been noticing and watching besides just worry. So I might do this with annoyance. If someone is making a sound that I don't like, I really hate when people chew on ice, I notice that that annoyance comes up in me and I try to ask a questioning thought or become fascinated with me because I'm the only one I can control why that is so triggering for me. What is it about that? Why am I making this a big deal? And sometimes I just have to leave the situation and that's okay too. But just really questioning why I'm getting annoyed and trying to work from there instead of trying to control other people. Judgment is another example where I may just automatically have some judgments of people if they are old or young or dumb or smart or interesting or if they're wasting my time or if they're not acting how I think they should. Especially I notice the critical judgments that I have of other people because most often those are things that I don't like about myself. And this is true for everyone. We're most critical in others of those things that we really don't like about ourselves. I am noticing and watching not just worry. So I'm going to change that top emotion of mine to curious. So grateful and curious are two of my top emotions. And I'm dropping tired, so what I want to switch it to is trusting. I've been thinking a lot about this emotion over the last week, and this is something that I feel a lot when I start to feel that worry or when I start to question if things are going right. I trust. I trust that things are working out in their own time the way they should. I trust that the things in the past that have already happened happened exactly the way they should have. And don't question those because there's really no point. We can't relive the past. We can only learn from it. I trust that I don't have to know everything right now. And I try not to compare myself now to people who maybe have been coaching for years or are more advanced in other ways that I'm criticizing myself. 
I've learned a lot of trust in myself and I feel that quite often that I can do hard things when I have a challenge in my life now. I try to go to trust instead of um, self-doubt or criticism. I really have learned a lot these last couple years because I've been going through a divorce and I've learned that I cannot physically or mentally do everything. I've had a lot of people asking if they could help with things and I've learned to accept help, which has actually been huge. It's much harder for me to accept help than it is to give it, but I've learned from this that I really can trust that I can do just about anything between what I can do and what I can, uh, the resources that people are offering me now that I know that I can accept help. I can really see now and believe that accepting help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And thinking these ways give me the emotion of trust or trusting. So my top three are gratitude, curious, and trusting. And with all of that explained, now let's talk about the model, how to solve any problem. The model is something that Brooke Castillo teaches. It's a way to solve any problem, basically looking at any situation that you have and analyzing it so that you can see the role that you're playing, the power that you have, and make a conscious choice. So Brooke Castillo developed the model and she synthesized from a lot of the information and the teachers that she was learning from. So it wasn't necessarily something that she created as much as she used words to describe a principle in life that was going on, almost like the law of gravity or the law of attraction. The model really seems to just hold true in every case and I have not heard of any problem that it couldn't solve. So most people, when they learn about the model, feel like it's almost something they've already known. It felt like that for me. It just resonated. The only thing I didn't understand is why we are not taught this, why we're not taught this in school. But you'll hear it more and more, and the more you understand it, and the more you can share it with people, the more we can raise the consciousness of our entire society. I wanna teach you the model starting with an example. It's loosely based on someone that I coached, but some of the details have been changed. So what she told me was that she manages two people that are a lot of drama at her work. She finds herself wanting to quit. She's looking on the job board because she just can't stand it anymore. She said she's so frustrated with them. She doesn't even want to go into work. She knows she needs to control them, but they're just so much drama. She doesn't even want to be around them. So the first part of the model is called the circumstance. It's the facts of the situation. If you were in a court of law, it's something that everyone could agree on. And what she's told me, there's basically one circumstance there that she manages two people. And the rest of it is basically a painful story that she's created with her thoughts. And she has a lot of thoughts about this circumstance, as we all do with circumstances in our life. She has thoughts about them being drama, thoughts that she wants to quit and that she can't stand it. She has thoughts she doesn't want to go into work and that she doesn't want to be around them. 
But when we're doing the model, we just want to pick one thought. So the main thought for her was that they are so much drama. So the circumstances, she manages two people, and her thought about that circumstance is that they are so much drama. Now she told me that she feels frustrated. So when she's thinking the thought, they are so much drama, she feels frustrated with them. Remember, the feeling is one word. You can look on lists of emotions or feelings charts if you need help identifying the specific feeling for your model. But remember, in common language, we'll say things like, I feel like I want to quit. That actually is a thought, not a feeling. The feeling might be frustration or disappointment or shame. Now, the reason my client is feeling so much frustration is not because of the coworkers that she manages. It's because of her thoughts about them. The only thing that can cause her feelings are her thoughts. And her thought that they are so much drama is what is causing her frustration. The next line is the action. So our feelings cause our actions. And she told me that her actions were thinking about wanting to quit and looking on the job board. I asked her what other actions she took, and she said she would try to be positive around them, so she would kind of pretend things were going fine, and then when she was not with them and would close the door to her office, she would feel frustrated, and she would kind of seethe and feel resentful. So, here's our model. The circumstance, she manages two people. The thought, they are so much drama. Feeling, frustrated. Action, thinking about wanting to quit, looking on the job board, acting positive around them, and then going into her office and getting frustrated with them. The last line in the model is the result. What are her thoughts ultimately resulting in for her? And in this case, it's more drama. As she gets frustrated thinking thoughts about her coworkers, she acts in ways that create more drama for herself. When she is thinking these people are drama, she's in a lower emotional vibration, like frustration. Then her actions are taken from a place of frustration, wanting to quit, looking at the job board, acting one way and feeling another. Even her interactions with her employees were ingenuine. She was saying one thing even though she was feeling another. We kind of sometimes don't think that people can pick up on our underlying emotions or intent, but we're wrong. People are very good at reading our emotional frequencies and they come across even if we think they don't. In fact, you could take the very same action of talking to your employees. If you're coming from a place of love, you're going to come across one way. And if you're coming from a place of frustration, as you talk to your employees, that will be evident by your words and your body language. I'm sure you can think of examples in your life where someone has been saying some words, but you can tell that their intent is not in line with the words that they're saying. When I asked her what her employees did that she considered drama, this got really interesting. She said they would act really nice around her, and then when she wasn't around, they would complain. How ironic! She was doing the exact same behavior that she was complaining about that they were doing, acting one way and feeling another, and then she was blaming them for the drama. 
So when we know our circumstances do not control our results, our thoughts about them do, it kind of explains the law of attraction. The law of attraction is that we attract things into our lives that are vibrationally a match with where we are. We know that emotions can be measured electromagnetically and that there are certain vibrations that correspond with each emotion. And just like we can't see x-rays or radio waves in the air, these emotional waves are emitted out into time and space and they tend to attract similar vibrations. So I've tried to find a scientific example about exactly how like attracts like because it does make sense um, that you're more comfortable in similar groups with people who think similarly and like seems to attract like in lots of practical situations. But then I also think about magnets and there's the opposite. So I don't know what it has to do with polarity. Maybe someone can explain that to me sometime, but there are also lots of examples of how like attracts like. It's kind of like the law of karma, that if you do good actions, then you also have good things that happen to you in your life. And we kind of know this intuitively, but I think a lot of people have questions about how much power their thoughts actually have in the process. And if circumstances are things that are outside of our control, how can we attract things through our thoughts? We know that the way we think about the circumstances in our life affects our feelings. And we know from the model that our feelings are what cause our actions and our actions are what cause our results. We also know from neurobiology that our brain tends to prove itself right. So do you remember the reticular activating system and the confirmation bias? We're basically like filters. We're always looking for evidence in the world that backs up what we already think or believe. So we're essentially seeing all of the circumstances of reality or the world through our own personal filter. And our brains do this because they're efficient machines. This is how it is supposed to work. We filter out this information that doesn't back up our thinking. Literally, the only things that even make it into our perception are things that back up our views. You may hear the example of a radio station. If we are tuned to a certain frequency, we can only receive signals that are in that frequency. Another analogy I just thought of was my Facebook or Instagram feeds. I guarantee that my Facebook looks a lot different than yours because Facebook has learned what kinds of things I like, what kinds of things I am interested in and will click on, and it tailors that feed from all of the reality of what is out there in Facebook. I only get even presented with a select amount of information that I can choose from that are things that I tend to want to look at. Now, all of our brains do this, and that's what helps us work efficiently. Our brain would get overwhelmed if it just had so much contrasting information all of the time. What we can do with the model is take any situation that's causing us a problem, break it down into the circumstances, and then all of the rest where we have our power, and look at how we want to treat the situation and maybe how we want to do it differently. This view shows you where you have your power. 
it allows you to change and expand the way you look at the circumstances in your life and open up to a wider view of reality. In fact, it's how you begin to rewire your brain. I'm going to take another example of the model using someone with neck pain. I've been a physical therapist for 20 years, and this is maybe an example of something someone might say in a physical therapy evaluation. I have 8 out of 10 pain in my neck and going down my right arm. Sometimes my arm goes numb. I have problems sleeping at night. I was in a car accident six months ago, and I can't believe I'm still in this much pain. I can't pick up my two-year-old, and I'm always worried that she's going to bump me and make my pain worse. Sometimes I feel like my pain is getting worse, not better. I can't exercise anymore, which used to help me with my anxiety, and I'm really just worried that it will never get better. So taking that, we need to tease out the first part of the model, which is the circumstance. Remember, the circumstance is only something that could be verified by many different people. Everyone would agree. A court of law would be able to say, yes, that is a truth. And the only circumstance that we can find in all of this description was that she was in a car accident six months ago. In a physical therapy evaluation, we have the first part of the evaluation called subjective. And in it is all of the information that the patient gives about their pain. So whether it's numb or tingling or sharp or dull or stabbing or aching or burning, the number on the pain scale, so 8 out of 10 would be subjective, the location of the pain, things that make the pain better or worse, all of those are in the subjective part of the evaluation, which means it cannot be verified by multiple people or in a court of law. So those would also, in the model, be classified as thoughts. Now, just like I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, I think there are some feelings like tired that can be physical in origin as well as mental in origin. I think that pain is the very same way. I think that there is pain from a physiological, organic origin, and I do believe there is pain that is caused exclusively by our thoughts. I've actually had experiences where I've heard a patient describing a pain that's similar to one that I have felt in the past and a recreation of pain in myself in that same spot just upon hearing the description. Another example you might think of is if someone has um, stomach flu and you just found out your stomach might start to hurt or if someone has lice or talks about lice, your head might start to itch. If we think of the neurobiology, it makes sense because our brain doesn't know exactly what reality is or not. It just knows the thoughts and the feelings. So if we're releasing those same neurochemicals that we would when we are feeling pain, when we're thinking about it, then we have that same perception of pain because of those same neurochemicals that are released. Your brain can create pain through thoughts of resistance. Do you remember the formula pain times resistance equals suffering? So if we already have some pain and then add to it or multiply it by the amount of resistance we have, we increase our suffering with more resistance. And if the resistance is zero, the pain times zero is zero. So 
I'm not saying 100% of pain originates in the mind, but I do think the pendulum has swung so far the other way that we, we tend to only see the physical causes of pain and blame the pain on physical uh, origins. What if we start to question some of our thoughts around pain? Just bring them out into the light, have discussions about them, start to notice or maybe poke holes in them. In Dr. John Sarnos's book, The Divided Mind, he talks about how it's not just neck or back pains that can be psychosomatic in origin. Skin conditions like eczema or psoriasis, food allergies or GI disorders like irritable bowel syndrome, heartburn, indigestion, or what I had, ulcerative colitis, autoimmune disorders, migraines, fibromyalgia, things like carpal tunnel, sciatica, even bad vision. Can you start to imagine that it's possible that your brain is influencing some of the thoughts causing the physical results in your health? Okay, so back to our model. The circumstance for my hypothetical patient was I was in a car accident six months ago. Her thought is I have eight out of 10 pain in my neck and down my arm. And her feeling, she described, was worry. She mentioned a lot of worrying about her pain. Her action is actually sometimes an inaction, not picking up her daughter. She would worry about getting bumped. She wouldn't exercise because it would hurt. And she would worry that her neck would never get better. What is the result of thinking I have eight out of 10 pain in my neck and down my arm? Well, she had continuing pain in her neck and arm as well as painful feelings and thoughts, like she would worry or she would think she's not getting better. What comes up with you when we talk about pain like this? Could eight out of 10 pain be a thought and not a fact or circumstance? Does that mean you have a choice in your pain level or that you could think another thought? One thing that I've noticed about my pain personally is that when I pay more attention to it is when I notice it more. But sometimes when I'm distracted, I barely notice it. When I'm bored or stressed or have something I don't want to do, I tend to notice it more. Is the pain always there at an 8 out of 10? Maybe you felt 8 out of 10 pain for one hour of the day, but for the other 23 hours, it was 5 out of 10. Would it change how you felt if you said your pain was mainly 5 out of 10? Do you mainly notice when your pain is worse? Do you ever notice when your pain is less? I invite you to look at what is going on with you in your circumstances and the thoughts that you have about them in your mind, especially around your pain or other physical symptoms. One thing that I've been doing lately when I notice pain is try to capture my thoughts and feelings in that moment. When I identify a thought, I label it as past, present, or future. So most of the time our brains are either in the past, worrying or having guilt and shame about something that's already happened, or they're in the future, having anxiety or worry about something that may happen that hasn't happened yet. Just like labeling our emotions helps have a controlling effect on our limbic system and our lower brain, the prefrontal cortex or our higher brain 
can help label if our thoughts are in the past or in the future that can also have this calming effect on our nervous system. Remember that the same chemicals are released whether the brain is actually experiencing an event or thinking about the event in hindsight or anticipating the event happening in the future. This is why we say experiencing rage or victimization from something that happened decades ago is really only harming you and causing yourself pain. Remember, this is how the brain works. Your brain is not malfunctioning, it's working perfectly, but we can also focus on upgrading our brain. As we become more conscious, we can override those automatic physiological responses that our body has. So it may be good to notice how you're thinking or feeling when I talk about pain in this different way. Do you feel defensive or resistant? Do you feel shameful or guilt or anger? Do you feel hopeful or inspired? Do you feel curious about what's going on with your brain and body? Maybe you feel terrified and curious. Sometimes Brooke Castillo calls people's pain stories their wubbies. We all have wubbies, these stories of victimization that we tell ourselves, stories that don't help us, but we feel very strongly about and we're attached to. Stories like, my parents didn't love me enough, or my parents were too overprotective, or I'm accident prone, I've had a hard life. They're stories that identify us as victims and helpless. Could you think of pain as a wubby? You can always go back to your original thoughts about your pain, but maybe you could pretend like you're in a dressing room and you're trying on some new thoughts, thoughts that don't lead to victimization or feeling helpless. How could you feel more empowered in your life? How could you decrease your resistance to pain? If you feel uncomfortable with some of these ideas I've brought up, notice that too. Question it. I suggest you journal about your pain. Start writing and let all of your thoughts just dump onto the paper. And then from there, you can try some models. Circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. As well, I want you to notice what part of your pain seems physical, like arising from the pain receptors in the body, and if there might be some pain that you have that seems to originate more from your thoughts. Just notice them if there are, without judgment. You can notice if they seem more directed towards your past, with regret maybe, or guilt, or shame, or if they are directed more towards your future, with anxiety and worry. Remember, your brain is wired to work this way. The more you take notice and become more conscious, and the more you accept with compassion and without resistance, the more you'll heal all parts of your life, the mental, emotional, spiritual, and the physical. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a little bit about your brain today that helps you in your life like it helped me. Please be sure and subscribe and leave a review. And of course, be sure and share this podcast with someone you know that wants an unstoppable body and mind.